We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 347. Our guest today is a California native. She's a wife, mother, equestrian, and a recovering addict. She shares her story of recovery and sobriety on her blog and Instagram called All Heart Equestrian. She is now a dressage rider working on developing her skills and continues to share her story and support those in the equestrian community. I think this topic is so important to talk about because the prevalence of alcoholism and drug addiction is so important and finding things like horses truly can turn things around, which was the case for this guest. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Elise Hart. Hi, Elise. Hi! Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm so excited to hear more about your story. Um, Obviously, I know a good bit, and many listening probably do, at your Instagram, All Heart Equestrian. But give me the full rundown. Like, How did you first get started in the horse world? So I got started riding. I was one of those like hooked on pony ride type of situation kids. And um, so I started riding when I was four and was just like a classic barn rat and like nothing spoke to my soul like being with the horses. And it's so funny because I look back and it's like you don't know you can get hurt. So you're like so brave. And I would be like the one that they would put on like the rank little horses. And <laughs> it, um, it was like my first taste of an esteemable act of like showing up to the barn, being of service, taking care of an animal, um, forming a relationship with an animal. That's something that I think is so um, enriching about our sport that it's not like a bat or a ball. It's like our instrument or our partner, however you want to articulate it, is an animal. And, um, so just being with the horses really filled my cup. And, um, until I was about 12, I kept riding, you know, we did summer camps and I'd sleep over at the barn. And, um, as soon as I hit like eighth grade and then summer into ninth grade, I found my extracurriculars, which would have been drugs and alcohol. Tell me a little bit about kind of where you were at in life, um, your early experiences with drugs and alcohol, like how did that become kind of your primary focus at the time? So it's, you know, different people have different philosophies about this kind of thing, nature versus nurture, genetics. Um, I was adopted at birth by a lesbian Jewish couple. And I say that's always like the most normal thing that's happened in my life. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, and they're both like super well-educated, very loving. They're both therapists. And, you know, there was a lot of love in the home. I was a kid who got, you know, everything I needed and most everything that I wanted. And the only way that I can just, you know, I don't feel that I'm an addict and alcoholic because of anything that did or did not happen to me. It's not because I have blue eyes. It's not because, you know, anything I believe that like I suffer from a spiritual malady. 
And so I started feeling this as a kid. And it's kind of like you become a black hole. And the more things that you try to stuff in the black hole, the bigger the black hole gets. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it can become like I felt like I was missing a piece that my creator had like forgot to put in me. I didn't understand how my fellows could like walk around and function and be comfortable Mm. in their skin. And so when I started drinking, it's like, I felt like I took a sigh of relief. Like when I felt alcohol's first effect, I was like, this is the piece. This is what I'm missing. And so as you start paying more attention to boys or partying or whatever, it's like your interests at the barn and like the esteemable acts that come from that pale in comparison to Mm -hmm. these kind of quick fixes and little shots of like making myself feel better in my skin. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg of like how addiction starts to develop. Yeah. I mean, obviously you grew up as such a barn rat and getting deeper and deeper into drugs and alcohol, you ended up for a time abandoning riding altogether. Was there an experience, like a specific instance? Was it a conscious choice to stop riding? Did it happen over time? What was that like? So I would say like mentally it happened over time. You know, it's like I was at the barn, but I wasn't at the barn. Mm -hmm. And so it's um, my parents had got me, you know, I had leased ponies and I would do like we I would loosely call it eventing, but we would go to like these little derbies and you would do a little dressage, a little stadium, a little. So it's like a mini little three day thing. And but I wrote English. And so I had these ponies that were awesome. And my trainer and my parents decided it was time for me to get a horse. And so we got this horse. She was an unbroken two year old. And I pretty quickly got bored, Um, you know, because I was used to showing and like galloping with my friends and all this kind of stuff. And um, I was doing join up with my mare and it was just like not moving uh, quick enough for me. And so it started to just, I was losing interest a little bit, but the thing that's really beautiful about that mare and this part of my story is I got sent to an emotional growth boarding school and wilderness program when I was 13. Cause my parents were just like, what can we do to help you? I was mm-hmm. unreachable. And so they kept my mare in a schooling program. And so um, when I came out of boarding school and I was 16, I came back and I was able to stay sober for two years and I got into riding again and riding in clinics. And it's just so interesting because the horses are so humbling and they're such a mirror Yeah, and self does not reveal self to self. Like you have to really look for it, even if you're scared of what you're going to find. And I wasn't at a point with myself where I could be real enough to be around the horses. Does that make sense? Interesting. Yeah. What What was the, I guess, the breaking point that felt like you got to that point? I think it's just, you know, that spirituality chipping at you. And it's like, so, you know, I have the spirituality. What am I going to do to treat it? Am I going to gossip about somebody? Am I going to be of service? Am I going to go ride? Am I going to go to a meeting? Like there's a lot of things positive or negative that you can do to like increase or decrease the size of your black hole. Um, And I just, I, I don't, I think part of it is age, 
you know, I felt like there's no way, like, I know I have a problem with drinking, but I, I felt like I had research to do in the area. (laughs) I was like, there has to be a way that I can like control and enjoy and manage my drinking. And, Hmm. you know, in hindsight, I'm not enjoying my drinking when I'm controlling my drinking. And so, um, you know, I, I started, you know, I completely had, for lack of better term, like abandoned my, my inner horse girl. And I always tell people with young kids now, I'm like the safest place for your child to be is on the back of a horse Hmm. because there's just something anchoring about like the bond between children and horses and like how that grows your soul. And so as I, you know, got more into drinking, um, I got more into party drugs and like I would say things that are quote normal for like 18, 19 year olds to do. And um, then I just, you know, it's like we would go out on a Saturday night and it's Wednesday and I can't stop. And it, you know, it just became such a problem where you're like, you know, rolling the wheel before you go out of like what um, consequences you're willing to put up for your actions. Mm -hmm. And active addiction is a very spiritually uh, expensive lifestyle. It's like you're constantly robbing those around you of serenity. I was a tornado of just like trying to make myself feel better to the point where drawing a sober breath or blinking became literally painful because I was so used to medicating myself in some way. And it's like, you know, most of the problems in my life have been of my own design because it's like in this life that you're living, then you start doing things that you're terrified of or you come to and people are like, you did this and then you feel shame. So you drink and it becomes this like nasty um, circle. And I went to rehabs and I would get like 30 days, 60 days, two days, you know, I couldn't really get any time together. And I was such a bad kind of like fall down blackout drinker that I was like, you know, and I got alcohol poisoning, I was in the hospital and it, I was just like, I have to find a solution to this problem. So this disease is so maddening that this is when I started doing heroin and my solution to my alcoholism was using heroin. And it's like, it's so funny to look back. But in my mind at that time, I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Because my family was like, oh my gosh, you don't smell like booze. You're like more, I mean, not very coherent, but more coherent than you usually are. You know, and of course they didn't know I was using. So they all thought that I was doing better. And I was like, this is the ticket. And By this point, you know, I had alienated myself from the horse world completely, and my parents had kept my mare in the schooling program. And so I would go back intermittently every few months, every year, you know, every two years sometimes, and I would ride. And it was like, oh, my God, like, I... I get emotional just thinking. It's like when I would Mm -hmm. put my foot in the stirrup and throw my leg over, Like, I was like, there is still hope for me here. Like, I felt like, um, I felt like grounded. And I felt like for just a second, that nagging black hole that I was allowing to pull me through my life took a breath. And it Mm -hmm. like, just let me be in my body. 
And um, so it's like those like moments were fleeting, sadly. And I was using to the point that I and I was um, using intravenous drugs. So I got an infection in my blood sepsis and I got an infection in my heart called endocarditis and I was I think I turned 24 in the hospital and so I had my first open heart surgery as a result of my heroin addiction and I was so sick um, with sepsis that I you know had the fevers and everything so after they had done the surgery I didn't even know like what had happened And, um, I had a pick line, which was like, um, like a continuous IV pump that I had to carry around with me for 12 weeks because I still had infection. And I waited until, you know, my parents were like, you can come home and, you know, bless my parents because they tried everything. They tried the, like, we'll keep you home, tough love rehabs. You know what I mean? It's like, they would try to pivot and nothing was working. So, I was home again, an adult child in their house, and we're all just trying to figure out how to do this. And it's like I I knew that I was going to die if I continued, but it was like my spirit had been hijacked is the only way that I mm. can articulate it. And so I waited, you know, they were afraid that I would use because the IV I had was like the worst thing for a little heroin addict to be running right. around with. It was like yeah. not not great. And so I was so hellbent on like proving them wrong because the doctors were like, oh, she's going to use with that. So I, I somehow was able to white knuckle it through 12 weeks and I got loaded again and ended up back in the hospital. And it's so crazy because this disease is the only one that will tell you you don't have it. And so it's like, oh, I can do something different. It's like, no, Elise, there's no way to successfully recreationally use heroin. Like, it's mm. not a thing. Like, right. if you could have done it, you would have done it by now. Yeah. And so um, I got sober for six months. And then I went on a vacation and had a relapse, like, with drinking. And then after that, it's like I was offered, like, a window of grace. And I walked through. And that was November 13th, 2015. And, um, you know, my life has completely changed now that I'm sober. In the summer months, I feel like a lot of places that we horse show also tend to have lots and lots of rain. And it's always the worst when you have, you know, a hot summer day with a bunch of rain and you also have a bunch of rain gear. And it's just like the worst feeling in the world, being hot and raining and disgusting and gross. But I want to talk about whether or not equestrian, because if you have not tried their breeches, oh my gosh, I am putting you on to a life-changing material that is absolutely so revolutionary, and I feel like everyone needs a pair, if not several, whether or not equestrian breeches. First of all, they are waterproof, and I know when I say waterproof, you say, okay, Bethany, like maybe like a little sprinkle or like get some water on them and it's fine. No, they actually, their fabric passed rain test AATCC 35 2000. I don't know what that means, but after looking it up, it 
tests, it really like measures the resistance to the penetration of water by impact. I, again, read this, read this on their website, looked it up to actually see what the heck it was. Still didn't believe it. So I have a couple pairs and I put them on went right to the barn, into the wash rack, and I ran the hose over my leg. And I was absolutely shocked how the water literally ran off my leg. Normal, you know, like riding breeches, not to mention they fit so well. They're so stretchy, they're so flattering. There's a zipper in the back, um, you know, right below your waist um, band that literally holds your phone so you don't have to like wear anything or have worry about your phone slipping out of your pocket it's just like so well made and to top it off the fabric is not only comfortable stretchy incredible it's literally rain resistant which is just i think so revolutionary for our sport so You've heard enough from me blabbering on. You need to go try them for yourself because I didn't believe it until I tried them for myself. So go visit their website. It's wonequestrian.com. So whether or not equestrian.com. Again, that's wonequestrian.com. Get yourself a pair of these breeches and tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. They changed my life and I cannot wait to ride in them in Florida and in Kentucky all summer. I mean, truly, thanks to whether or not equestrian, rain does not have to freak you out anymore. So go check them out. You will not be sorry. What happened, or I guess what it, it, that time in November that you feel like really helped you get sober? I felt like I had like hit the jumping off point between um being miserable even when I was loaded which happened for a long time so I was like Mm -hmm. if I'm gonna be miserable loaded if this is painful right then I might as well give it a try again being miserable sober and um you know I had a lot of contacts with people um from previous sobrieties and I had called this woman who was sponsoring me at the time and told her what was going on and then I needed her help And I was really just um, embraced by, you know, the 12-step program that I go to. And um, when you start working the steps and doing spiritual work and looking at yourself, if you're lucky, you have a change of perception that really alters your whole entire life. And um, I've been really lucky. You know, I met my husband in AA and he's sober 15 years and almost 15 years. And um it's so, I feel so bad for him because when we met, I was like hibernating horse girl, right? Like <laughs> we, we had my I'm guilty skill. of this too. I, right? Like <laughs> poor guy and he's allergic to horses. So I feel so bad. Um, so we had my mare still and we actually had to euthanize her when I was pregnant. And so, um, I was starting, you know, to come back to riding just intermittently and through all of this, the, um, valve that they had replaced in my heart and my first heart surgery had failed. So a month after I met my husband, I had to have open heart surgery again. Wow. And my relationship with him has been like such a selfless act of love. 
Um, it's like, I thought, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have heart surgery. I thought he'd be like, you're really cool. We've been dating a month. Like, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of intense. And like, he just stuck by my side. And as I healed, like six months, like after my surgery, he proposed and then we got married and wow. we have a beautiful little boy. And um, it's so like, so when I started riding, he was like, what is this? What is this crazy, <laughs> expensive, allergy inducing hobby that yeah. you have? Oh, and, wow. um, you know, all of the successes that I've had in my life, all of which have mostly been built on the back of failure are because of the people that I have around me who believe in me and support me. And I, I could never express enough gratitude for that. Wow. That's amazing. What kind of role did horses play into helping you stay sober? So it's like, you know, they've done all these like clinical trials and scientific things about just how literally being like in a horse's like, I can't remember how many feet it is. I'm sure you've seen these. It's like yeah. healing. Right. And mm -hmm. so it, um, it's huge. And almost to a fault, <laughs> I would say, because again, with this disease, it's like the fruits of your own labor will deceive you into thinking that I don't need to go to that 12 step meeting anymore. Right. I don't, you know, and not I'm that. Good. Yeah. And not that I want to like drink because I know I could never drink like a lady, but it's, it's just the little things like that. Like I'm so tired today or I want to be with my family and, and things like that. It kind of chips at you in that little way. And I remember when I was younger in sobriety, people kind of explaining the disease of addiction to me and this diabolical, like the boogeyman. And I just didn't believe it until I met it. And so now I just have to be really careful because when COVID happened and meetings went online, my husband and I were like, oh, I don't like Zooming. I don't like this. And this was like, remember when they said COVID was going to be two weeks? Yeah. So we were like, we'll go in person again. And that's when I started riding. So after my son was one years old, I started riding. So I've been back in the saddle about three years. So when I started riding, I kind of switched, you know, my meetings and, and everything for the horses. And now I've come back to find a balance with it. But there's just something about being outside about, you know, like the smell of a horse, like the challenge of a horse and being with the horses. And last December, I was in an accident, I got kicked in the stomach by a young horse, and it um, lacerated my splenic vein. Oh, and my pancreas was in two pieces. And so I had to go into um, emergency surgery. And I was mortified because I'm an opiate addict. And um, I had to take pain meds. And it, it was this whole thing. So I kind of flipped down onto the other side of like, I feel like horses have saved me. And then I almost like died by a horse as wow. well. So it was, you know, um, I felt, you know, like the universe just telling me to pay attention. And I'm so thankful that I had, you know, the support to get through that situation. Um, I can't imagine my life now without horses. Um, my son l rides horses and he's obsessed and I just feel like there's just something that's like intangible and magical, especially when you, you know, it's like my sobriety, it's like a daily reprieve that I have. So I have to do something every day to be of service or, 
you know, things like that to take care of myself. And the horse is really a vehicle for me to do that. Totally. Yeah. Well, you have fully immersed yourself in the horse world again, um, now kind of developing your dressage skills with your horse, Bob. So tell me a little bit about Bob (laughs) and the role he's kind of played in your journey currently. Oh my gosh, Bob. I remember when I, I I was like, really Bob? Um, His registered name is Baron, but the woman who had imported him said he was such a, like a goober. She was like, you're a Bob. But she says so now he's a baron, which is really uh, cute. But, um, you know, when I came back to riding and I, you know, it was time to get a horse and stuff, I had seen him and I fell in love with him just like in first meeting. He totally just like snagged me at the soul for some reason. And um, So I had started leasing him and then him and my dear, dear friend Heidi had moved for a purchase on him and we were moving up the levels and we had done our first pre-St. George and he got cast in his stall two weeks later, pretty nasty. The stall Mm. cleaner found him with his leg through the the bar in the window. And so we thought he was done. The vet was like, you know, a soup, like his bone scan was awful. His muscle enzymes were so high that they had to titrate them down in order for the computer to interpret them. And, you know, Heidi had us in a situation where we were able to throw everything at him that he needed in order to make a remarkable recovery. And it turns out he did. And he's schooling pre-St. George again. And our accidents were a month apart. So it was kind of like, well, Ugh. I guess we're rehabbing together. Wow. Um, but, you know, he's such a special horse. He's a heck of a, I mean, horses humble you and he is at the top of that list. I mean, he is always keeping me on my toes. And I'm actually super blessed in December. Heidi had decided she was like, you know, this is like your heart horse. And so she gifted me her share of ownership. So since um, the new year, Bob has been my boy. Wow. You know, when you come from sobriety, like when you come from using and you show up late to your own life, it's like I didn't have a savings. Like I wasn't like living responsibly. And so, you know, with the help of my family, I was able to get back into writing and um, so many people have helped in ways big and small in order for me to have this partnership with this horse. And it without it, like without contributions that I've been getting from people, this is not something I would be able to keep doing. So I'm so grateful. And I I have really incredible brands like Halter Ego that um, started believing in me when I had like 200 followers and like mm. Is you know, I'm so humbled and inspired by people who have kind of just grabbed me along the way when I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, yes, you can. Because it's it's different when you have a group of people around you who believe in you. It's very different when you have a group of people around you who believe in you and support you. Right. You know, my trainers, Kim and Maddie, like – None of the things that I'm able to do with my horse would be possible without the equestrian community. And it's so like heartwarming to me when people like share their heart and their niceness, like niceties. And that's why Mm -hmm. I'm so vocal about my journey is because more times than not, I make a connection with someone that is like me too, or my brother, my cousin, my dad, Um, you know, and they are able to relate because I think that 
addiction is such a broad taboo subject, but it, it's touched basically everybody in some way. Totally. They know someone, love someone. And I, I really feel like the more that we can talk about it and just rip the curtain back, it really makes it not so scary and it's a lot easier to heal. Yeah. Yeah. I know you mentioned how, you know, it's kind of like you were robbed of part of your life for for a minute there and obviously you've overcome a lot and have been able to move on past that point in your life so what would you say is something that you are most looking forward to right now well this is like a big pie in the sky dream but one day I would love to have some sort of foundation for people who you know are getting into sobriety and they want to pursue a passion and financially it's not something they can do. And oftentimes our families are tapped out from rehabs and therapies and everything like that. And so it's so important in sobriety to have an outlet and something that makes you feel good about yourself and something that is welcoming you to be in your skin. And so I think just really keeping, you know, like this line open talking about like whatever troubles ail you. I think we live in a society where people are so like, feel like we have to have this polished look and we're human. Everyone falls apart or falls short or, you know, and the more that we can stick our hand out and help the next person, I think that that is really what we as like humans are needing right now. Definitely. What would you say is something that you're passionate about in the industry that you feel people either don't talk a lot about or don't know enough about? I know that's hard. I feel like this whole thing has been about that, huh? Right. You know, I, I think that in our industry, we can all, and myself included, you know, when I get zoomed in on a goal or something like that, or financial stress, or anything like that, when, you know, the picture is really zoomed in in front of our face, Mm -hmm. we lose sight of like, the people and horses that we are around. And we lose like, just how much how powerful it is to smile at someone to exhibit kindness, um, to be friendly. And and I mean, really, though, Do you know what I mean? Like to take that extra moment when someone says like, hi, how are you? To be like, how are you? But to care and to like really Mm -hmm. want to know what they have to say. You know, our community is really resilient and amazing. So I think that the more that we can tap into being inclusive, you know, problem solving and like a teammate for other riders, I think that that would be a great attribute to add. Totally. Yeah. That's a really, really good one. Well, Elise, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and the things that you've gone through in your life have obviously shaped you into the incredible woman you are today. So thank you so much for your willingness to be vulnerable and share. Um, You've built a pretty special community um, through, you know, Instagram and beyond. And so I just think it's very inspiring and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Bethany. And thank you for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.